Hello, and welcome to Breast Cancer Conversations, a podcast brought to you by survivingbreastcancer.org. I'm Laura Carfing, breast cancer survivor and founder of survivingbreastcancer.org, a nonprofit organization providing community, education, and resources to empower those diagnosed with breast cancer and their caregivers from day one and beyond. I'd like to thank our sponsors for this episode, Citizens. We know how important clinical trials are for any stage cancer, but especially stage four. We know how hard it is to find the right one. Your health information is key to unlocking treatment options. That's why we're so happy to tell you about our friends at Citizens. Citizens is a completely free online service that helps you gain access to all of your medical records and now can also help you explore clinical trial options. Curious to know what clinical trials you're eligible for? Join Citizens for free and find out. You can find out more at citizens forward slash SBC trials, and I'll link to it in the show notes below. And that's citizens spelled C-I-I-T-I-Z-E-N dot com forward slash SBC trials. Hey, everyone. Welcome back. I am so excited, as I am every week, to be speaking with you. I can't believe how much gets accomplished every seven days and how I have so many updates to always share with you. So it's so great to be hanging out and connecting again today on the podcast. So here is rapid fire quick updates that we have going on over the next couple of weeks that you might want to check out. We have partnered, speaking of citizens who's sponsoring this podcast, we have partnered with them and 60 plus other organizations around the world through a movement that we are dubbing Breast Cancer United. We have planned a Black Friday Takeover Unity Walk. So this is the Friday after Thanksgiving, November 27th at 11 a.m. Eastern. All of us all over the world are going to be hitting the streets and participating in a virtual walk to raise awareness around breast cancer because united we stand and better for it together. So you can always check out um, our website. We have information on the walk, the takeover, how to get involved. It should be really fun. Just another way of building community. Other updates that we have, as I think a lot of you know, we have our Thursday Night Thrivers Meetup every Thursday night, 7 p.m. Eastern. No agenda, come as you are. It's always a fun time, lots of laughs. Our community is growing, and I love it. I love seeing all of your beautiful faces once a week. I look forward to it every single Thursday. And then we have also our book club. So for those of you who haven't checked it out already, the Breast Cancer Book Club is live. We have announced our first November read, which is called... A Most Beautiful Thing by Arshay Cooper. There's still time to order the book, listen to it on audio, or I should say, listen to it on Audible. Obviously, you guys are podcast listeners, so I think Audible might be the best choice and method for you. And we are going to be discussing the book and announcing our December read on December 6th. So hop on over to survivingbreastcancer.org forward slash events, and you can see all of the happenings coming up and how to RSVP and connect. All right. So We have quite an episode for you today. It is jam-packed. It is part one of a two-part episode on estate planning. This topic is kind of a heavy topic, but trust me, after I listened to it, me and William spent like the next weekend getting all of our stuff in order. And I mean everything, bank account, passwords, life insurance, beneficiary documents, et cetera. It was like a weekend of like... I don't know, spring cleaning, even though it's not spring. I don't know. It just feels so good to have all of your documents organized in one place. Cancer alone, just to be like organized. So hopefully you find this information very helpful. Part one is going to focus on access and authority. These are concrete steps you can take now and should take sooner than later while you're alive and can plan. 
you never want to be in a situation where you're dealing with high stress, anxiety-driven emotions and realizing that some of your bank accounts or estate plannings or beneficiaries are not in order because that adds just tremendous amounts of additional stress that we can actually get ahead of. Today, I am pleased to welcome Abigail and Anna to the conversation where they are going to walk us through some of the legal side of estate planning. In the short term, you know, I think one of the things that we do as a community is bring people together. So I want to give a shout out to everyone who is here live with us. We have Denise, who's like my new BFF. We like have been hanging out every week for a while, which is amazing. <laughs> we have Terry and Donna, Amy, Elise, like, hi, everyone, Paula. Um, is it Adina? It's like, it's so nice to see all of you guys. Um, one of the things I appreciate about Laura the most is when I bring all of my crazy ideas to her, she's like, yes, and, and how are we going to do that? And that I, I appreciate that because I, I bring her many crazy ideas. Welcome to the conversation. This webinar series, and this is the second in our series, came out of some conversations that um, Allison Tischler, who's also living with metastatic breast cancer, she and I were having about grief. And um, so our, our um, project, I guess it's called, I don't know what, what the label is, we're calling it MBC Grieving Together. And the, the focus of it is to have these conversations, to talk about the people that we have lost, because I was really struggling with this. How do you grieve somebody that you only have ever known online? How do you grieve for somebody who you are, you feel super close with, but you're not really a part of their life in terms of their day to day, because you only know them through this one piece of your life. And so we're we're trying hard to bridge some of those gaps. Uh, we I learned about a new label called disenfranchised grief, which is those things that you're grieving that aren't mainstream or aren't um, maybe acknowledged as maybe being as important, like the loss of a pet, um, a miscarriage. Um, sometimes divorces are things that you grieve quite a bit or a family member, maybe that you weren't that close to where it just hit you really hard or these relationships that we make now with people all across the world who we might meet in person once or twice in our lives. And yet they make such an impact on our lives. So we have a, a Facebook group where we talk about these things. And then I said, Hey, what would everybody like to learn about? And so, you know, then these webinars uh, came out of that. So we keep adding to to the list as as people come up with ideas. But um, one of the reasons that I started my nonprofit, which is Connect for Legal Services, is that I realized that there's a huge unmet need in the cancer community, especially the terminal cancer community, for getting uh, legal issues addressed. Estate planning is a huge part of that. And so when I started seeing these things and people asking questions, I knew that we were going to need to have somebody who really knows her stuff to talk to us about what she does day in and day out. Um, and that's why I asked my friend Anna to, to be here tonight. Thank you, Anna, for taking your evening to be here with us. <laughs> Would you like to introduce yourself, talk to talk about your, your background, where you went to school and all of that? Yeah, I'm... Um... Based in Orlando, actually a uh, third generation Orlando, born and raised, which is kind of unique. And so is my husband. So 
pre-Disney families before the whole world found out about Orlando, but um, love it here. And I have two children. I have a 15 year old and who you wouldn't recognize him, Abigail. He's six foot now. Um, so I we're see the pictures doing, and I can't even I imagine doing the <laughs> learner's permit and all that. So keep me in your prayers. And then uh, a middle school girl. So that brings its own challenges. But um, but yeah, when I first started um, out on my own. But prior to that, I had done a lot of health law representing physician and physician groups. And so I just really, believe it or not, loved um, being on my own and went out um, and decided to do estate planning, elder law, guardianship type matters. And a lot of the work I did, especially the first five or six years, was actually with hospice. I would do training for the hospice social workers. I would um, go to their events. I would meet with their nurses and doctors and talk about the legal issues surrounding death. And so um, I had a lot of experience that we have three main hospice organizations here in Orlando and still talk to them often and still upon occasion um, offer house visits. Um, One of the things that happens is people wait too long. And then they cannot physically get to my office. They can't physically get to an attorney's office to get documents done. So we still, I I won't say I do as much as I used to. That was a lot, um, you know, a lot of my time previously, but we've gotten the word out and the social workers now know we need to bring this issue up much sooner now. So we have a lot more flexibility because we really get limited when you wait too long and then we're really into a crisis mode instead of a planning mode. So we certainly want to be in the planning mode. And it is scary. People say it means I have to talk about dying and death and those things. But there's some reassurance and some peace about knowing that those decisions have been made. And instead of dreading them and staying up awake at night, waiting and determining what's going on, you can focus on more important, honestly, more important issues of taking care of yourself and being with your family. And I just truly believe that. The last thing you want is to be dealing with a crisis and still having to make those decisions. That's really, really hard. So I hope today will just be more of a jog your thought process, conversations you need to have, why it's important, and but know that I can't do individual estate planning, obviously, on a conference call. So um, just take that for what it's worth. I'm thrilled to be here and want to be as much as support as I can and answer whatever questions I can, but know that each state is different. Florida, in my opinion, is very generous on taxing issues. There are a lot of states that are not as generous as taxing issues. So there are a lot of state-specific tax issues and things that you may need to address um, outside of, you know, what we talk about tonight. So You took the words right out of my mouth, that whole uh, <laughs> disclaimer that nothing today is going to be legal advice. Don't take anything that um, Anna or I are talking about specific to you, but we wanted to talk about some you know, language things, what to call certain things. Um, But at the end of the day, I'll probably say this more than once, finding somebody local to you is very, very, very important. And that's actually what I do with my nonprofit is that when people are needing their um, legal work to be done and they are stage four, then I have a roster of lawyers all across the country who have agreed to take at least one case every year pro bono for a stage four patient. Abigail, that's so wonderful that you have this nonprofit to help people who are metastatic be connected with attorneys. But what if we can't find someone local in our area? I know that there are all of these online services, if you will, like LegalZoom. What do you think about those? Maybe I'll turn to Anna. 
There are a lot of times people will put things in and it's very heartfelt and it's an emotional situation, but they're not grasping the concept of and the result of the language they're using. Um, in general, they're guaranteed to work in whatever state you're in. But if there's a problem, if you read the fine print, all they'll do is give you your money back. Well, at that point, you've either already died, you're too far gone to redraft documents. And oftentimes, in my opinion, you're better off just not even having a document than dealing with an online form you just buy and fill in yourself. Um, because there's a lot of a domino effect that it's hard to explain that could come into play based on what you've done. Um, kind of that phrase, you can't unring a bell, especially when dealing with the real estate. If you file a deed thinking you just pulled it online, and especially people like to use quick claim deeds because it looks so simple, there's major tax consequences that can have a domino effect with that, that we can't undo because you've already created that transaction. Um, you know, in general, and this will kind of be our highlight for our conversation tonight, it's about access and it's about authority. It's really, those are the two words I'll use over and over again is access and authority. Um, most people think when they go to estate planning, it's straight to what happens when I die. There is a lot that's going to happen beforehand. And especially with the medical matters that you all are dealing with, healthcare surrogates, HIPAA release, financial insurance. Honestly, after someone passes, except for minor children, it's just stuff. It's money, it's stuff. I don't mean to simplify it that much, but it really is, except for minor children. Before you die, your care, the access and authority to take care of you when you can't take care of yourself, in my opinion, is even more important because that's quality of life. That's being able to get you the care you need, have the money to, to support it, get to the insurance, all of those things. So don't take that part for granted. You know, one thing you absolutely have to have, this is federal, is um, somebody who has the ability to talk to your doctors, even as husband and wife or adult children. Federal law restricts access to medical records, and you've all heard of HIPAA. Yes, you can go to your primary care doctor and sign their form, but that's for that office. When you go to a specialist office or you go to a hospital, everyone's got their own forms. Through estate planning, with your state laws, you can set up a proxy or a healthcare surrogate as to who that person will be and giving them authority to talk to your doctors and letting the doctors share that medical records and information. That's extremely important. Again, that's the access to your records and the authority to talk to the doctors. I'm sure as I hear over and over, but I know my daughter will be there for me. Yes, absolutely. She'll be there, but give her the authority and the access to do what's needed. That's really what estate planning is all about, is giving somebody the authority and the access. We really are getting further and further away from a family unit to being individuals. You know, even spouses, children, and adults, as you all probably know, people who have completely separate finances within a marriage. There's a lot of separation now, so there's no assumption that just because this is your daughter, your mother, your father, your spouse that they will have access unless you say and put in writing that person has access and authority. So you have to keep that in mind. Don't assume they will have the ability to do what you need them to do if you haven't put it in writing and given them that authority to do so. So the healthcare surrogate, is that a person who's making decisions on your behalf or simply having access to your medical records? Um, primarily making decisions on your behalf. 
But if they don't have the access, it's going to be really hard to make the decisions. So in an okay. emergency situation, um, states will often have a default of a proxy like your spouse to make decisions, your next of kin, but that doesn't give them access to your records. So, you know, emergency room, you know, department, you brought in by an ambulance, got to make those immediate decisions. Yes, you probably can make those decisions depending on your state law. What I'm more concerned about is the rehab after the coordinating with specialists, the um, whatever facility you need to go to, it's that aftercare, that coordination, that even though this is your person, they may not have the ability to pull together all that information. And, and I'm sure you all, even more so than I understand, coordinating specialists is a complete nightmare. <laughs> so if you can't even talk to them, that's going to make that process even harder. So giving somebody the authority and the access, authority to talk to them and the access to get the records is very important. Outside of your doctor's office is important getting that authorization just because you have it at the hospital and at this doctor and that doctor, you don't know who else is going to be brought into that circle. So having a overreaching broad authority to talk to any facility and any provider is really important. Because most of the forms that you would see, say, at a hospital, I think we were talking earlier, when I've had surgeries, they're always like, here, sign this form. Who do you want access? That sort of thing. But all of that expires, right? The moment you leave the hospital, it's only good for that one admission or that one procedure. I remember when I was going through my own surgery, also, I had to assign who that proxy was. And it was actually kind of a contentious moment of... Is it my spouse? Is it my partner? Is it my family? Is it my sibling? Like trying mm-hmm. to navigate that dynamic in and of itself where you're managing a cancer diagnosis in your own surgery, let alone the family dynamics of who's going to be signing these papers and who you want to allow to have access. And that same thought, Laura, you've got so many other things going on to then have to navigate everyone else's feelings should not be something you're concerned about at that point. You know, you, you love your family and they're all there for you, but you shouldn't have to navigate all those at that point. And I get asked a lot who should be your healthcare surrogate. Um, I mean, typically default, it's your spouse, if not your spouse, your adult children. But I often have clients that come in and they choose to override that. And you can't. Um, they say, listen, I adore my spouse or I adore my mother or whoever it is, but they're not going to be good in this situation. They will not handle the stress of the situation well. And that's okay because you have to look at someone who is able to be level-headed, who can take in all the information. They don't have to be a medical professional. They don't have to be a nurse or a doctor or anything, but can take in the information and gather that information, share it with the family if you want them to make those decisions, but be able to manage that process. Um, and sometimes your next of kin is not someone who can do that. Uh, you know, I say if you're laying on that gurney in the hospital bed and you can't speak and you know they're talking about you, who do you want talking? Who is that person going to be? And at that point, you cannot think about hurting mom's feelings or your husband's feelings or your wife's feelings. It's It's got to be who is going to be calm in that moment and be able to intake that information. Because when we're stressed, we tend to our, our brain can't process everything that's coming at us. Mm-hmm. And you've got to have someone that can process that information. So. so for a healthcare surrogate, you know, obviously picking temperament and that sort of thing, usually they've got to be an adult though, right? It can't be a minor. 
Absolutely. Over 18. Um, You know, I'm I'm not a huge fan of someone in their twenties. There's a lot of uh, development still going on there, but over 18 is the law. Um, Someone that's a little more mature than their twenties typically, but sometimes that is the best person. You have to make those decisions. Definitely without a doubt over 18. Mm -hmm. And for a healthcare surrogate document, that document's not going to say you're allowed to share this information with mom, but not dad. Would that be a separate conversation in terms of how you would want the information to flow? Well, all you're listing on that document is who the doctor may provide that information to. Um, Unfortunately, if you do have person A listed and person A decides to take it all and share with person B, um, that's beyond the doctor's authority to manage that, you know. Um, So that's difficult. You have to trust that individual with the information they're going to have. Um, you know, you have to realize yourself how sensitive you are to your privacy in that situation and how sensitive they will be to keeping that privacy. So the document will say, doctor, you may share with person A, but what person A does with that is going to be a little beyond the control of the document. Um, all right. So healthcare surrogate is one of those documents that you need before death, right? Something that, that it's kind of a living, breathing document to a certain extent, How do you change it? You can amend it. Um, It really goes to how much you've shared it. So if you've told person A, hey, you're my person, and if something happens, and then later you choose to change that, they have to be notified that you've revoked those privileges. And that is done in writing, and you have to tell them. So it is a difficult conversation. It doesn't mean it can't happen, Um, but you have to be aware of how far you've spread that information. Personally, I believe to share expectations and why you've made the decision you've made. Um, And you need to know that that's for your best interest, even if it's not what everyone else would have chosen. You have to make what's your decision for your care and what you need. There's a phrase called durable. That means it withstands your incompetency. In other words, that person continues to have authority even if you're incapacitated. And that's when you really need the documents. That's when you need that person to step in. Keep in mind, what we're discussing right now is your care while you're alive. We will get to the after death part. We're talking about taking care of you, the person right now, if you can't take care of yourself. Uh, Janice just raised a great question in the chat. So what happens if you're in the hospital and you create one of these healthcare surrogates or a power of attorney or some legal document that gives power to a person? but your estate planning documents that are at home, say somebody else. Who wins? The, ho- the hospital is going to honor the document, the form you signed at their, at their hospital. Because uh, in short, their attorneys have drafted it. They like the language and it was part of their um, packet. The hospital form is only good for that one procedure, one hospital admission. So what if the person who had the previous power of attorney or healthcare surrogate document comes in, Hey, I have this. If it has a HIPAA release, they still have access to your records. And if there is a dispute between them and the hospital feels necessary, they will take it to a judge and ask the judge to decide. But the hospital will certainly honor their own form. It will not be nullified because you had an outside document. So it is important to have Um, everything in concert, everything together and on the same page, because you really don't want that to happen. If you're planning to make a permanent change, don't signing the hospital form is not going to accomplish that. You're going to have to go through the process of voiding your previous document and letting them know 
that you've made other decisions? So other than a healthcare surrogate, what are some of the other advanced directives that you recommend people consider? Yeah, so still talking about healthcare, we'll switch to finance in a minute, but still talking about healthcare, and Abigail just said it directly, they're called advanced directives. Um, that is, so the healthcare surrogate we've been talking about names the person, the agent, to make decisions. Advanced directives are where you actually make decisions ahead of a need. So you're actually saying, if I'm terminal, if I am in stage, if I'm persistent vegetative state, this is what I do and I do not want in my care. So you're taking those specific decisions and outlining them very clearly and expressing your wishes. Um, There is something called a DNR, do not resuscitate order. That's a medical form. I want to make sure I make clear on that. That is a form signed in the state of Florida. I'm going off my information from Florida here. But basically, it's signed by your doctor saying, based on your medical diagnosis, we are now putting in your chart an order not to resuscitate you. It's similar, not comparable, but saying... I order a CAT scan, I order an MRI, I order, it's an order, and it's put into your medical chart that now we will no longer resuscitate you. The advanced directives you'll do with estate planning say when basically you want that to be in effect. So if I reach this point, if this occurs, then I no longer be resuscitated, and the doctor would then review your wishes and say, we've now met this criteria, Anna will no longer be resuscitated from this point forward because these were her wishes and we've now met that scenario that she wanted this to apply. So it is different from a DNR. Many of you may have those conversations because you're facing terminal matters. That's perfectly fine, but an attorney will not create a DNR for you. It will outline when and if you would want one to appear. A DNR itself will be done by a doctor or a hospital. But keep in mind, we can't create a document that covers every medical scenario that may occur. I mean, a lot of you are dealing obviously with cancer issues, but there could be car accidents. There could be COVID-19. I mean, whatever appears in the world. So we can't manage every scenario. So it's going to be fairly broad. Um, There's one program, I think Abigail and I have talked about called Five Wishes, and they use that a lot with hospice. And it's a great program. Um, it gets into very detailed situation. Do you want ice chips? Do you want, you know, music playing? Do you want lotion on your hands? Very specific. Your legal documents are going to be much more, um, more broad and scenarios than something like the five wishes, which is talking about the actual bedside manner in which you would like to be cared for. Um, so it depends on what you're looking for. Um, as Amy is asking, does it take the pressure off of your family? Absolutely. But we're talking about actual for lack of a better word, pull the plug scenarios, not who's going to be in their room. How are my final hours going to be? That's not what we're dealing with. So you have to look at what your wishes are as far as what matters. Are you strongly, do you feel strongly about that you want to make sure your family know about? So what about dementia? Are you seeing any anybody adding anything specific to dementia? Or for our purposes, if there are brain mets and that impairs your, your brain functioning, do you see anybody adding anything specific there? Um, just as a precaution for not only, you know, the family, but for the client, we will have a physician enter some sort of letter saying whether they are still competent to make uh, legal decisions. Um, so that will definitely come into play because um, I can see a client and have a perfectly candid, very lucid conversation, but then find out they get home and they're, they're not competent for whatever reason. You know, lucid, lucidity is not um, 
is not an ongoing situation. It can flux, as I'm sure you understand. So we will also do follow up on that if need be. But um, so I guess I'd have to ask you to kind of expand your question a little bit, Abigail, because I want to answer it as far as, um, you know, the dementia part in general doesn't affect the heart and lung function. So a lot of what we're dealing with with advanced directives is the actual um, functions to keep the body alive. Now, brain dead scenarios, without a doubt, come into play, um, but not so much of the dementia, except it affects when and how you can make your wishes known. Um, you know, I, you- I've talked to a couple of people who began to lose brain function, and they simply didn't want there to be as many interventions, kind of once they were no longer aware of what was going on. Yeah. Once it was irreversible, and I think maybe that, to your point, that you know, when when you get to those places, not necessarily vegetative, but where you're not really aware right. of what's going on anymore, you can build that into an yeah. advanced directive, right? Yeah. The biggest thing really is making your wishes known before you reach that point. Right. Um, you know, because for example, we have we have clients that have had dementia and had a cancer diagnosis and they may not have been quite as aggressive in the care and treatment because the client simply just could not handle the illness that came with it or the, you know, the effects of the treatment. So that might certainly affect those scenarios. And if there is that diagnosis, that conversation will certainly come. Um, From my point of view, the most important part is making sure we finalize your wishes before, you know, you're unable to do so and have the competency to do so. Mm-hmm. Where when do people start thinking about these these types of things? I know you mentioned hospice. Um, you talked about social workers, but wh- when are people doing these things? <laughs> Probably not as soon as they should. <laughs> Honestly, uh, my my honest answer is after they've experienced it with somebody else. When they've had a parent die, they've had a sibling die. Um, they've seen someone close to them pass and it left a huge estate mess or there was constant um, chaos with the medical providers as to who to talk to and who was in charge. Um, And then we've had a lot more recently employers that are willing to help cover the cost for estate planning because they want to make sure their employees are set uh, for whatever reason. You know, they want to make sure that the HR department is lined up with their estate planning and so that's been an interesting twist lately is having a lot more employers that are, you know, um, trying to connect their employees with the state planning. I'm definitely hearing the message sooner than later, but how do we even get started? What's like step number one? You know, it's, you mean before you call an attorney or to mm-hmm. connect with an attorney? Yeah. Like I hear all this, this is amazing. I need to get started. What, what happens yeah. next? You know, honestly, the first step is to make sure you know what you have and where it is. I am constantly shocked. And now granted, I do this day in and day out. So I know, and my poor husband, God bless him, it's never happened to me, but I know exactly where everything is. And um, it's amazing to me how many people forget they had a 401k at a previous employer. They don't know who has their life insurance. They don't, I have spouses that have no clue the bank that holds their mortgage. Um, And Typically, the conversation is, I'm 99% sure. Okay, well, if you're not sure and you don't have it all gathered and organized in one spot, guaranteed if something happens to you, your family is not going to (laughs) know. There you go. This (laughs) is a great tool. You can get it on Amazon. It literally is called I'm Dead. 
now what? And it has a, it has a tab for everything, personal, yep. medical, dependents, documents, financial, business, blah, blah, everything. Yeah. If you have it, there's a place to write it down in here. Now mine, this one's blank. I haven't filled it out yet because my husband has all the spreadsheets. I don't always know where everything is, <laughs> but, but I actually got these for my parents. Um, there's also one, um, I think a bank puts it together. It's something about your, love your last letter. love letter. Oh, yep. the love so letter. it's very, very similar where it's a place to put everything together. So, um, yeah, it's there funny. You go, Laura. There's your homework. I, I went to a, a event and one of the things they said, it stuck with me years later. It stuck with me. They said, the moment you're born, you start creating a paper trail. You get a birth certificate, mm-hmm. social security card all the way to the day you die. You have a paper trail but we've gone so electronic that that paper trail is disappearing for those that don't have access. So you got, you get online bank statements, you get, you know, whatever it is, everything's online now where we used to just tell clients, well, wait three months and you'll get a quarterly statement and things will cycle through and we'll see people come and say, well, where were my mom's bank accounts? Where was this? There's no database I can just type in unless I guess you're with the IRS. I don't, I don't have access to that, but to type in to know, where all your bank accounts are. So really getting organized for yourself first so that it's in one place. And a book such as Abigail showed is fantastic. I don't want you to put in their passwords and full account numbers. I just need to know you bank at, you know, bank ABC and XYZ. You can walk into those banks and say, hey, my mom, my dad, my sister, my brother had an account here. And you, and that's that access and authority. We'll talk about that because I want to touch on that too. But I don't want you to have everything in one place that someone gets this notebook and has full access. It's really like creating a list of saying, hey, don't forget this person, that person, your financial advisor, your tax person. Hey, I see John Smith. Here's his number. I see so-and-so. Here's her number. You need to have all that information in place. So, Laura, that's the first part is that whole I'm 99% sure part always makes me nervous because then it means they really don't know and then no one else is going to know. So getting that organized is really important. Um, and having a general idea of who the people are you want to include. Um, I have a lot of people that will call and we'll do an initial, um, um, consultation. They do a lot of listening, but not so much talking. You've got to be prepared to talk. What's your relationship with your siblings? Why is this child getting, you know, ousted in this child's, you know, I, I have to be able to know that dynamic. Um, you know, things that are kind of extreme as people say, I have two children where they actually have three. They've just disowned the third, but legally it's still a third child. And so you've got to be comfortable being honest about the scenario and the dynamics of the family, because it doesn't, just because you don't say it doesn't mean it doesn't exist and doesn't mean it doesn't have to be dealt with. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So there's the emotional preparedness and there's the paperwork preparedness, so to speak, and being comfortable getting ready to have those conversations. I hear a lot of times the term power of attorney. When does that come into play? A power of attorney basically means you're naming someone as your agent to do something on your behalf. When you go to buy or sell a house, your real estate agent has a power of attorney to negotiate and talk and go through that process on your behalf. So a power of attorney could be anything. I mean, believe it or not, even a valet with your car, you're giving them the authority to go park your car on your behalf or a consignment shop when you go and resell clothes. I mean, So power of attorney is a very, it's like saying contract. It could go a million different directions. 
But for estate planning, we're typically talking about a durable financial power of attorney. This, I will put a huge asterisk on this, is very dependent on state law. The laws vary greatly on the powers of attorney, what authority that agent has, when that authority kicks in. What I want to leave you with is that you're naming someone as an agent that at some point in time, they will have access to your bank accounts. And that's going to be a very discretionary power as to when and how that money is spent for your best interest. Now, it has to be spent for your interest and done for your benefit, but there's very little oversight for that. However, at least in the state of Florida, if we don't have a power of attorney and you are incapacitated, still alive, but incapacitated and cannot manage your own finances, they could appoint a guardianship, which means being under the court's purview, the court takes over the accounts, the court manages those things. That's a nightmare. That's an absolute nightmare. So we definitely want someone who's trustworthy. Your state will be very specific. It's going to vary from every state. I couldn't even give you much generalization on a power of attorney, but um, the power of attorney is an amazing tool. If you have someone in your life, you can trust with that power. Your documents to care for you while you're alive, but need someone to help step in and care for you. So before we switch to the after death, I just want to make sure we're kind of on that same page and we can always come back, but are there any questions about that? pre-death side before we kind of switch to the after-death side? Um, anything that you guys can think of? And in Abigail, this has been so informative. I have pages of notes. I'm probably going to go back and re-listen to a lot of these sections because it is such rich, deep content that is critical for us to know. And I really appreciate you giving us concrete steps of how to get started. This is probably also a great place for us to pause and let all of this information sink in. We will have you guys back next week, Abigail and Anna, as we continue the conversation on estate planning and focus on the legal side, preparing for one's death. Thank you for tuning in and listening to our podcast. If you would like to find out more about our organization and upcoming events and ways to connect, you can find out more by visiting our website at survivingbreastcancer.org. I would like to acknowledge that all of the information on our podcast is from personal experiences and it is not a substitute for professional medical advice you should always consult your medical care team. If you're looking for specific topics or would like to be a guest on our show, feel free to contact me directly at laura at survivingbreastcancer.org. And of course, we have a couple social media handles you can follow us at as well. For example, survivingbreastcancer.org, all one word, as well as our podcast specifically, Breast Cancer Conversations. Until next time, keep on thriving.